0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 30th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. President Biden wants to use executive authority to forgive student loan debts en masse. But the dirty little secret over federal student debt bailouts may be that it's already somewhat underway. Mike Riggs of Reason Magazine details some of the ways the often illusory promise of student debt bailouts is enough to get young people to make bad education decisions. In the past uh, decade or so, the federal government, the U.S. federal government has taken a much a dramatically larger role in student lending. And we've seen this increased put. We had some some programs that have been created. Uh, one was student loan debt forgiveness. If you work for a nonprofit or the government for a decade, um, that seems to have been over promised a little bit. And uh, now we see with uh, Joe Biden in the White House, a push to forgive a much broader range of student loans. So as you see it, where does things stand now?
1: So I think they're basically just two things happening at the same time. One of them is that a form of statutory student loan forgiveness, which is what you mentioned for nonprofits and for government workers that has always existed. That predates Biden. It goes back to Bush. And the idea is uh, the number of people who are going to get that is pretty much determined by how much any given Department of Education secretary wants them to get it. You know, it's 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 up to the education secretary to figure out how streamlined is this process going to be, et cetera. And then the other group of people is almost entirely optional forgiveness. There was this really interesting debate between progressives in Congress and the education department under Trump at the end of his tenure, in which everybody was pointing at the same exact language from the Higher Education Act uh, as it was written and signed under Lyndon B. Johnson, and pointing at this language and saying, we believe, you know, if you were a progressive, you looked at this language and said, we believe this means the Department of Education has the right to forgive 100% of all debt owned by the education department. And then you had people under Uh, former education secretary Betsy DeVos saying, you know, we don't think that was the intent of this legislation. It almost certainly was not the intent of the legislation. Uh, But we're just reading it much more narrowly than that. It has to be targeted. It has to be specific. It has to be means tested. Um, So right now, we're just basically seeing probably the most aggressive interpretation of existing statutory debt forgiveness powers but still not as aggressive as people
0: like Seno- Senator Elizabeth Warren would like to see. So one of my concerns with debt forgiveness broadly, uh, the notion, this big promise, and you corrected me that it, this goes back to the Bush administration, um, is the, as the how that affects people's decisions about, one, whether or not to pursue higher education, particularly graduate-level degrees that are very expensive, and, two how they choose to make the payments on the debts that they have already accrued, believing that this program exists.
1: Yeah, this is the most troubling part of how the program has been administered thus far is that, you know, the public service loan forgiveness, which not a lot of people know about because not a lot of people have received it, but the people who have received it have received an incredible subsidy. It's like a thus far, it's an average of $90,000 in student loan debt forgiven per person, Um, But when that law was written, they said, if you make 120 monthly payments after October 2007, uh, and you have the right type of loans, and you make your payments uh, in the right amount at the right time, and you're working for the right kind of employer, uh, however much you have left after 10 years, we will forgive. But 10 years is also the standard repayment time for a student loan. So if you were to take the amount, the size of your student loan, and divide it by 120, um, you know, adding in a little for capitalized interest, you should be done with your student loans in 10 years. But this PSLF is is basically intended to pay back as little as possible. So what most people are advised to do by loan servicers in the education department is sign up for something called income-driven repayment, which is where basically you sign up to pay 10% of your income, which you recertify with the education department every year using your, you know, tax filings. Um, and if you went to law school or medical school, or you got a master's degree, a standalone master's degree in something like urban planning or filmmaking, you are making interest only payments. If you pay only 10% of your income, unless you're making an obscene amount of money, right? If you made a million dollars a year and, you know, obviously your 10, your income driven repayment would be substantial, Um, but then you wouldn't need PSLF. So we have this like massive middle to upper, these people are from the middle class, the upper middle class, they have master's degrees, they have terminal degrees, they work for governments and nonprofits, and they're just paying as little as possible with the expectation that after 120 payments, they'll get a letter that says, you know, your remaining 50, 90, 150, $200,000 in debt is forgiven. The problem is some of those people submitted their applications. The first people for the, who were eligible for this were eligible in October t- two thousand seventeen. Ninety eight percent of people got a letter back and said you're not eligible, and your student loan debt is now twice what it was when you started paying into this program. So you've created a constituency that maybe ten years ago didn't seem like they needed a lot of sympathy, and like we've like kind of made these people like pathetic in the sense that like they got a job teaching or something and like now their student loan debt is massive because the government misled them which it did because it has administered this program so incredibly poorly
0: yeah so uh and if if you one working for the government or a nonprofit there are is a good chance that you're you've accepted a a lower salary than you would have been able to command in the private sector and you chose that uh employment path because you thought that the that your relatively large debts could be forgiven uh, and then come to find out that a, a vanishingly, a relatively small percentage of the people who thought they were eligible find out that they are.
1: Yes, and Congress, uh, you know, through bipartisan efforts have, have created some policies that are intended to help or capture these people who really thought that what they were doing qualified, but it turns out there was they were they missed one item on the checklist by some small amount so there's this temporary expanded public service loan forgiveness thing passed in 2018 and that is um an appropriated bucket of money from which people who don't quite qualify for PSLF which is an entitlement there is no budget or set limit for PSLF there is nothing in the legislation that says it basically it's like you know it kind of works like social security or any other entitlement like it is it need if if there are a lot of if 100 times more people use the entitlement than was anticipated then you know the government has to
0: pay and congress just has to raise taxes or we have to print more money or something like that to the extent that joe biden continues to discuss this as an issue and to the extent that uh, prominent members of congress are pushing this my concern is that as long as these programs exist current students at a decision point about whether or not to get a graduate degree are going to make decisions that they would not otherwise make in order to, in their view, capitalize on a program that, as far as we know, has not served very many people very well and uh, create yet a further constituency for further giveaways to people who made less than wise decisions about debt.
1: Yeah, I... I also wonder about, you know, so when this was passed in 2007, the idea was that there were all of these industries that, uh, you know, not just government, but apparently all like nonprofit healthcare settings that just like couldn't find people because, you know, if they took on a large amount of student loan debt, they wanted a private sector job, even though, you know, we talk about some of these things as, as if they're a calling. And so... I'm still not sure how large that population is of people who are deciding to become physicians because they know their student loan debt is going to be paid off in 10 years. Because, like, yes, the average medical student attendee does borrow like somewhere between 200 and $250,000 for their degree, but the, av- the median physician salary in the United States is over $300,000 a year. So if you borrowed 50 grand to make 50 grand, with the expectation that after five years you'd be making two hundred and fifty grand i don't think that's the best way to finance our education, but it's not crazy and so the debt to income ratio for a lot of PSLF beneficiaries is actually pretty favorable towards them, especially if you were to stop comparing them to say like well how much does a You know, how much does a surgeon who's affiliated only with a concierge medicine practice that charges all of their members $50,000 a year just to be able to be seen by these doctors? Yeah, of course, uh, he's making way more than somebody at a nonprofit academic hospital. But if you look at the person at a nonprofit academic hospital and compare them to someone with only a high school diploma who is spread out across six credit cards, like they don't look like they need help. So, and people get, and I, I, I feel so uncomfortable talking about this. First of all, I should disclose to your listeners, you know, my wife is a physician. She is right now eligible for PSLF for some payments because she, all residents in the United States are because so many of them are at nonprofit hospitals. She's probably not going to go work at a nonprofit hospital if she graduated, but if she did, we would probably take advantage of PSLF because why would you pay back more than you have to? Why would you say no to free money? So we not only have like this weird thing that like the, any push for reforming this program to put a cap up, cap, I mean, obviously I know the most libertarian answer is like get federal government out of higher education funding altogether. But short of that, you could have things like capping the amount that could be forgiven because their graduate students can borrow an endless amount of money to get as many degrees as they want. Um, and so it is not insane to imagine somebody with you know, a million dollars in student loan debt saying, I want to only pay back $50,000 of this. Um, and PSLF granting them that incredible, incredible opportunity. So the push for reform will never come from past, current, or future beneficiaries because anybody who's getting ready to go to college is like, don't yank this program away. Just as about, I'm about to be the first person in my family to go to graduate school or something. Um, it's not coming from universities because this is basically something like PSLF turns students into a pass through for like a wealth transfer from, you know, the national FISC to higher education places. Uh, so, you know, I worry you asked, how is this influencing people's decisions when they're thinking about whether to go to college? And I'm just, I'm worried that there's no one in the room who's like, this could be problematic because so many people think higher education should be free. And, Fewer people feel that way when you say like, well, do you approve raising middle-class taxes to pay for higher education? But that's never how we sell free college or debt forgiveness as a future, as, as
0: the catalyst for a future tax increase. Mike Riggs is deputy managing editor at Reason Magazine. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.